You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is July 15th, 2021. Today we're going to be reading a very long chapter. It's probably going to take all of three hours to do the radio show. But that's okay because I'm not working tonight. So we're going to try to get through it. And then, yeah, that's I met my uh, son, the goat master. Anyway, we're going to do the show earlier today. And I told them we were going to do the show earlier today, 
and I went and took a uh, a two hour nap, which turned into I don't know six hours or seven hours. I was really tired. <clears throat> I didn't go to sleep when I came home today because we had a a general contractor uh, come over to the house and take a look at what needed to be done for us to get our house loan. So we're in a <clears throat> excuse me we're in a lease purchase. Excuse me. This house was built by a man. So his father owned hundreds of acres in this area. And uh, when, I don't know, in 1977 or something like that, um, his father gave him 10 acres so he could farm this land. And he built this house himself, and he did it himself, the whole thing. And uh, he actually did some things that are not great. <clears throat> some of the joices in the house have to be sistered, and because he cut plum, or he cut like notches in joices, and then he did some weird stuff to try to like make it work, and. It's bad. We're talking sixty to seventy thousand dollars bad. Uh, with everything that has to be done. And so now we're like, Oh great, now what are we gonna do? So so that was a mess and that's gonna be a mess and hopefully we don't have to leave this place because we love it here and we already have done improvements to the land with fencing, a lot of fencing. Um, trying to, you know, we're, we're doing goats. We're raising goats. We have nine goats. We started out with two. And uh, we've bought a couple of goats to, to uh, bring other genetics into the herd. And we're trying really hard to make this work. And we just found this out today, and we've been living here for like a year, over a year and a half. And the lease purchase is up in November, so we're trying to, like, do what we have to do so that we can purchase the place. And it's bad. So, anyway, I don't know what to do about all that, but I stayed awake for um, as long as I could, and then I just I had to take a nap, and uh, nobody woke me up. And I didn't think I was – I think I started going – I think I went to sleep at 4 p.m., and uh, anyway, so I'm fully rested now, and it is actually almost midnight. Actually, right now it's after midnight. So, but this show will go uh, is for the 15th. It's now the 16th, and then I'll try to do another show tonight. We'll probably have to do two parts to wrap this chapter up. So um, I'm going to work on that throughout the night. The only other problem I have with the show is between. Uh, I think it's two to four in the morning. Um, they do system updates at Blog Talk Radio, and I don't know if I'll be able to do a show right back to back with this. Now I used to do that all the time. We used to do three-hour episodes uh, on Friday. No, it was Sunday night. We'd do a three-hour episode from uh, 9 p.m. to midnight. And then we would do a three-hour episode from midnight to 3 a.m. 
And uh, I I used to do that all the time with Kevin Kraut and friends. So we used to have a show that Kevin Kraut and a bunch of other uh, fundamentalists, independent fundamentalists would come on and we would just have different topics and we would talk about a whole bunch of different stuff. And like me and Kevin Kraut and Eugene Richardson and a man by the name of Richard, oh, what's his name? Pritchard, Art Pritchard would come on and we would argue and it was ridiculous, but then we would talk about a whole bunch of different stuff. And Kevin would be like, this is, and it would have a lot of other people on it, but it ended up being the Art, Eugene, and Mark show, because it was just us, like, talking with little interjections by other people, but pretty much Art, Art, uh, which he passed away, unfortunately, a number of years ago. But Eugene Richardson's still alive, and Kevin is still alive. But they stopped doing this show because they were tired of, uh, you know, of basically three of us just getting on every week and arguing with each other. <laughs> I actually miss those days, and I'm really upset that Blog Talk Radio – on my old radio show, they started deleting things that are older than two years old because I wasn't paying for that service on that other radio show. So you can't even listen to them anymore. And it's sad. That's why I started trying to get um, my stuff uploaded to YouTube doing a screen video with the audio in the background from the, for the old shows. And I've been trying to do that. And I think somebody figured out what I was doing and they just basically screwed it up. I can't upload um, long videos like that. It just, it says I can, but when I try to do it, it doesn't work. And then the other thing too is we were told in 2019 that we would have fiber to this house uh, by the summer of 2020 and then that didn't happen. And they finally got fiber to the house in a big roll of fiber on the side of the house and they have to eventually schedule somebody, a technician to come in and put it into the house. So we have very slow internet where we live and then we're just relying on um, cell phone service to do other things that we can't do with the internet service. And it's just, it's hard, you know, because, I used to be able to do live radio shows all the time with uh, live video through YouTube and through Facebook at the same time. And, well, with the way that things are now, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that, uh, again, consistently the way I did it before. But um, And I even have a studio, an office. <clears throat> Excuse me, I didn't have that before. We used to do it from our dining room. You know, and you could hear the kids in the background. In fact, I was listening to the one I was trying to to get fixed up for um, last night for today so I could post it, and nothing but problems. But it's so funny because you can hear my now 12-year-old when she was nine, and her voice has changed so much. So when she was nine when I was doing the radio show that I'm talking about, I was doing a live uh, Facebook and YouTube, and she wanted to be on the camera, and she wanted to help me read. So I was like, okay, fine, you can help me read. And her voice is so cute. 
And I didn't realize how much girls' voices changed, but then I was like, oh, that makes sense. And you always think about boys and how their voices go through changes. Well, it's the same thing with girls. Now she's 12, and she doesn't even sound the same. And I was like, oh, I miss my little girl. (laughs) But I have, uh, you know, and I love my daughters, all of them, but I have two that are still high-pitched girl voices, um, but the 12 year old, she's growing up and I'm not happy about that. I always tell her she's my little three year old and she's like, dad, I'm 12. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I'm going to get into the reading tonight and then Emma is going to help me out because, um, I still do have to eat. I had a couple of pieces of chicken and some rice today after I got home at four o'clock. No, it was Actually, I think it was about 5.30 when I walked in the door a.m. this morning, and I didn't eat anything, and I didn't go to sleep. I took a shower and got changed, and then um, I had food around 2 p.m., a couple of pieces of ch- And I was still hungry, but I was like, oh, I'm so tired. So I didn't eat. So Emmett is going to read. Um, but I'm going to start out the reading until he can do whatever it is that he's doing, and then um, he'll come in and help me read tonight. So we'll be covering Biblical Keys, Chapter 7 of Holy echo. Priesthood, Volume 7. Uh, do you have your headset on, Emma? Yes, I do. Charge your headset. I will neither confirm nor deny this statement. <laughs> no, I did. Emmett. How dare you? Anyway, Emma is 15, and he thinks he's funny, and he has Asperger's, so he's got weird jokes, but I think he's funny. So he is the goat master. (laughs) Because, you know, we have goats and all that. Anyway, so I'm going to – I will dedicate the program, and then I'm going to start the reading, and then I'm going to read a page – and then I will make commentary on the page, and then Emma will read a page, and then <clears throat> I will make commentary on the page if we have any commentary. So, Emma, pay attention to where we are at. <clears throat> We're going to be reading pages 87 through 128 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, which I was able to post most of on the Facebook, but it's such a long chapter. It was like 67,000 words. Or something like that, and it can only take 63,000 words. So I had to, like, cut the conclusion off of it. And I'll have, I'll have to fix that later, but it's a pretty dang long chapter. So eight, 87, page 87 to page 128. So, all right, well, let me dedicate the program, and we'll get right into the reading. O God, the Eternal Father, we come to Thee in the name of Thy Son, Yeshua, our Messiah. We thank Thee, Father, for the opportunity to use this technology to have these worlds go out to a worldwide audience. We love Thee, Father, and we thank Thee for all of the blessings that Thou has given unto us and for allowing us to move into this property and to have a place to live for the last year and a half. We... Thank thee, Father, for the opportunity to live here and and to do these radio shows and to have good jobs that we can take care of things and take care of our family. 
we love thee, Father, and we thank thee for Ogden Kraut and for the work that he did in compiling these these books that we may read them and consider things that we may not have considered while we were in the church. We love thee, Father, and we say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Biblical Keys, Chapter 7 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 7, pages 87 through 128. <clears throat> Emmett, did you have something to say? I said amen. That's all I had to say. <laughs> okay. It's it's actually pronounced amin. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's a biblical Hebrew pronunciation of amen. Anyway, um, I did something bad. Mm. I put the sausage in my mouth, Emmett made me some beef sausages, but he forgot to bring me the rice. Emmett, did you bring me the rice? There is no more rice. (gasps) How dare you? (laughs) All right, well, I'll just read this, uh, this first page, and then Emmett can read the next page. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. For an analysis or breakdown of the term keys, biblical scholars have used an outline similar to the one below. This is supposed to help solve the problem of, the problem of connection with the keys as mentioned in the Bible. Thus, this chapter will be organized as follows. follows. Number one. Jesus gives the keys. Number two, Peter and the keys. Number three, binding and loosing. Number four, dangers and warnings. Number five, the rock of revelation. And then the next group is number one, views and perspectives. Number two, true and false agents. Number three, scope of the keys. Number four, functioning with priesthood keys. And then there's the data, which, number one, related passages on keys, which include conclusion and the power of keys, agents, agencies of power. Page 88. Emmett. Page hey. 88. Hi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you want to help. I need you to pay attention. So as we, as I say page 88, you start reading. And then when you say page 89, I'll start reading. We'll do it like that. That way we can both read it together. Fine. (laughs) Okay. Did you have something else you wanted to do? Uh, Not really. I'm just bored and tired. So we had the contractor coming. So yesterday we spent all night making sure everything was like easily accessible, and we I didn't get to bed till like two in the morning because I was cleaning a bunch of stuff because my room was a bit of a mess. And then today we woke up at like I don't even know early. <laughs> uh, it was so... six thirty in the morning. I think it was actually seven, and it was kind of funny because I put uh, I put my phone on YouTube. And I walked into their room while they were still asleep, <laughs> and I played Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, like the introduction were all the way to the part where it's all, Welcome to the Jungle, we got fun and games, which music I grew up with. I remember when I was six years old, 
jumping around on the couch listening to Metallica and Guns N' Roses and ACDC on on uh, MTV, which actually used to play music, and now they're stupid. So <laughs> anyway, so that's the music I loved when I was growing up. So anyway, um, we have three different bedrooms where the kids are. So Emmett's in his own room. Yeah. And we walked into the, I walked into there. Actually, I started with the little girls. So they were sleeping on their bunk beds, all on the top bunk bed because they love each other. And like, they're like twins, even though they're two years apart. They are ridiculous. So I walked into there and they're both sleeping. And I turned on the introduction to uh, Welcome to the Jungle. And they both popped their head up and they're like, Dad. <laughs> and then, then I walked into Emmett's right room. And I, sleep. <laughs> yeah, and I had to go back in there and play "Sweet Child of Mine" and "November Rain" because I was on a Guns N' Roses kick this morning. Anyway, so then I went in and I did that to Emma, and he thought that was funny. And then I went into Olivia's room, and she's the twelve-year-old girl, and she just looked at me. And she smiled, but she wouldn't respond or get up. And I was like, get up. Anyway, so I ended up having to play Sweet Child of Mine. And I was, like, singing it as a dad would by changing the lyrics and talking about goats. (laughs) It was funny. Anyway, all right, Emma, uh, page 88, go ahead. First, Jesus gives the keys. Uh... Again, first, Peter and the keys. (laughs) Very few keys are mentioned in the Bible. But when Jesus said to Peter, And I will give give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 16, 19, it became the most contested, controversial scripture of the Protestant and Catholic churches. Biblical scholar James Hastings wrote, In ecclesiastical history, the phrase is associated primarily with the so-called privilege of Peter, upon which the dogma of papal supremacy has been built, but also with the delegated authority of an official priesthood. Double promise, like the one in the preceding verse, was made to St. Peter personally. Can hardly be doubted. The question is as to what it means. Hastings uh, discourses as the Bible, I believe that is, 549. Most scholars have stumbled... Uh, that... Hey, hello. That's Dictionary of the Bible. Oh, weird. Why would they say it like that? <laughs> discourse, because discourses, if they're going to abbreviate it, they're going to say uh, it's going to be D-I-S-C, but this is D-I-C. That's Dictionary. So it's Hastings, but Dictionary of the Bible, page 549. Go ahead, Emma. Okay, yeah. Most scholars have stumbled over this passage and have arrived at many different interpretations. Some so strange, they don't even seem to refer to this passage at all. Elder Bruce R. McConkie noted this too. In one of the most abused and misinterpreted passages in the whole Bible, Jesus promised to give Peter certain keys and powers which would enable the ancient apostle to build up the church and kingdom in the meridian of time. The The Millennial Messiah, McConkie, page 124. And referring to this same passage... There is no more stubbornly contested conception in Christian terminology. International Standard Bible uh, Encore, I think, 3-1794. International Bible, International Standard 
Bible Encyclopedia, Volume 3, page 1,794, page 89. However, go ahead and mute yourself when I'm, when I'm reading. I'm up. Okay. I heard you guys. Oh, thank you. Um, Emma, do you use the headset to mute yourself? No, because sometimes it, like, opens up Siri and stuff. Oh, so, but like, you have the book, so you don't have to go off the off the phone screen. You don't have to read yeah. it. So I'm reading. I'm actually using my reader program, uh, and it's not on. I'm just scrolling through it. And uh, that actually tells me that we've done 3%. And uh, that's what that's how I read it when I'm sitting down and I'm able to read and not drive a truck. So um, I just use my headset, which you have the same kind of headset. That top button, you can set it up to do a bunch of different things. And what I use it for is when I push that top button, it mutes it. But sometimes I accidentally push the button right below it, and then it hangs up the phone call altogether. And I'm like, oh, seriously? That's so anyway, why I don't yeah, usually. <laughs> Well, you don't have to because you have the book, so you don't have to go in and out of screens. You can just do it like you do it, and that's fine. But, yeah. All right, so I'll read the next page. So we're on page 89. However, the Catholic Church has felt very comfortable with their interpretation. Since, quote, since the Reformation, it has been recognized by Catholics and Protestants that on this interpretation of this passage depends the, uh, the authority of the Church of Rome and its exclusive claims, so far as their foundation is, uh, in Scripture is concerned. That's Encyclopedia of the Bible. Vo- uh, well, it says Ibids. What's the last? That's International Standard Encyclopedia of the Bible, page 3, no, volume 3, page 1,794. To the Catholic leaders, this passage in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, is one of the most important and authoritative Bible scriptures, yet they base their authority on a misinterpretation. And it's like I said before, God owns the interpretation of scripture. Scripture is not given for private interpretation. You can't just decide what your interpretation is and run with it, you actually have to be a prophet and get revelation for yourself with confirmation of the Spirit to understand the true interpretation of Scripture. And if people would do this, there wouldn't be all these divisions within Christianity, which led to apostasy within even the early church. So that's why there had to be a restoration because of this apostasy brought about by the misinterpretations of the Bible. Continuing on, it is strange that so many of the strongest arguments of the claimants to title and position are usually based on error or misunderstanding. It is important to remember that a mistaken interpretation or deliberate fraud can bring the same disastrous results. Every great fraud is perpetuated by misinterpretation, and unfortunately, most religions are caught in the same trap. The following questions could legitimately be asked regarding these keys that Peter held. Number one, was he the only one to possess the keys? Number two, could he pass them on to someone else? Number three, 
How does one pass keys to another? Number four, did Paul have those keys? Number five, were those keys a promise of a position? Number six, were they a privilege or a duty? Number seven, why was Peter singled out for the keys? Since Roman and Greek Catholic foundations rest upon the keys being given to Peter, the interpretation of this scripture is extremely significant. If their interpretation is in error, then so is the structure of of Catholicism. Page 90. Okay. The statements and references in this section should help clarify this mystery and explain the real meaning of Christ's gift of keys to Peter. When Jesus told Peter that he would give him the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he made a promise that was yet to be fulfilled. (laughs) The prophet Joseph explained when that promise was actually fulfilled. The Savior Moses and... Uh, Elias gave the keys to Peter, James, and John on the mount when they were transfigured before him. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 158. From this quote, we learn two things. That keys can be passed from one or more persons, and that they can even be given by translation or resurrected beings. The indications could be that they are connected with the high priesthood, and that where the priesthood is found, those keys can also be found. This may be confirmed by the statement of the resurrected John the Baptist, who told Joseph and Oliver that he acted under the direction of Peter, James, and John, who held the keys of the priesthood of Melchizedek, which priesthood, he said, would in due time be conferred on us. BHC 140. From this, we learn that there are keys to both the Aaronic or the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. Undoubtedly, or undoubtedly, there are many other keys not mentioned, but we are mainly concerned here with the keys that Peter received. More about him will be discussed in sub- subsequent sections as well. Section 2, Binding and Loosing. The more the scriptures mention keys, the more confusing the issue becomes. Instead of clarifying the subject, it seems to create more problems than it solves. Page 91. Emmett, when you go back to high school, you need to go into seminary so that you can be all like, well, actually, and just tell the teacher all the things, because that would be funny, and I would pay for a YouTube video of that interaction, because I love it. I wish I could go to seminary. (laughs) That would be funny, just to watch you do that. (laughs) One of the things, I know I'm going off on tangents, but... So I used to work construction belly dumps back in, like, 2003. And what I did was in the wintertime, we'd get laid off. And, like, we had some work in the wintertime, so we'd come back on and work, and then we'd be on an employment, and then we'd come back on work. And, like, there'd be, like, a month or two, and we wouldn't even work at all in the middle of winter. And I loved it. I love that job. I want that job back because – Well, at the time, um, I was over the road from 98 to 2003, and when I came off the road, I bought this house, and it was actually a lease purchase, and my payments were $600 a month for this five-bedroom house in Kearns, Utah, 
And I fixed it all up, and I put all of the cool things in it for a bachelor pad. We had a pool table. I had, at the time, uh, a very large television. And back then, it was like these heavy, oh, I hated moving that TV around. But I had all the video game consoles and some couches around the area where the video games were. And then that was in the basement. And then upstairs, I had a movie theater with a 120-inch screen I spent over $3,000 on a ceiling projector. And uh, I had couches and banana chairs and like we would have singles ward parties, like parties, like every week I'd be like, okay, on Friday, we're all going to like have a movie. Everybody's invited to come over. And like we'd have, you know, the kitchen would be full of like all kinds of junk food and we all have this. It was so fun. And my roommate's, hated me when they found out that I was only paying $600 a month and I was charging them at the time a, a, to, to rent a room in a roommate situation was $300 for the rooms upstairs, which were pretty big for the house. And then there was two of them. So that was $600 a month. And then two downstairs that were $250 a piece. And then I had my master bedroom downstairs, which was bigger than all the rooms, and I didn't pay to live in that house. But I made sure that we had all of the coolest things, and but they hated me because how dare you live off of us? Like, dude, I took the uh, the time to purchase the house, uh, well, lease purchase, and to fix it up and to put all of these things that you enjoy in it, and... And anyway, but getting back to the uh, the belly jump, and the whole reason I bring this up, because I loved getting laid off. I enjoyed working. I've always enjoyed driving truck. But in the wintertime, I would get a gym pass. Actually, I had it all year round uh, for uh, Kern's Recreation Center. And I would go sit in the hot tub. I would go work out. I would run six miles a day on the elliptical um, and I used to run three miles a day until I got shin splints really bad. And then I tried to, I tried to do things to fix that. And it just, anyway, it, it ended up just me doing six miles a day on the elliptical. And then I would go to institute classes every day. And then um, I was the activities coordinator in my singles ward. So on Sundays we'd go to music and the spoken word every single week. And like, we did the thing at my house and then we did other things. It was awesome. I missed that time and I love that time and I wouldn't go back to it because I actually love having a family and having a place to live with not roommates, you know, and I was lonely because I did, I was so awkward. I didn't know, I had no idea that girls liked me, but then looking back, I'd be like, they were flirting with me all the time and I'm just like oblivious completely oblivious anyway but um i used to do institute all the time at the university of utah and actually if if you follow me we just went to a peter brian holt concert at my wife's um education conference that was in rich Hill, utah and i got to see peter brian holt for the first time since 2006 and I was so happy because we used to, like, go to his parties at the University of Utah when he was just starting out. 
And I've literally been to like between 15 to 20 of his concerts. And I love, I really like him. He's a really cool guy. But I love his voice and I love the music that he makes. And I was so happy. But we used to hang out at the University of Utah. And it was just a great time. And the reason I bring all that up is because I would love to go to Institute as an adult. I would love it. I would love it if I could go to the LDS church, but they've deemed us an enemy because they don't want us talking. They think I'm a threat because they don't want us talking about these type of things. But I was thinking, well, Emmett, he actually is an excommunicated and he could be an, he is a mole. And it's actually funny. So I was commanded to start the church of the living Messiah and the school of the prophets that's part of what I'm doing now. This is part of the School of the Prophets. The one mighty and strong who he claimed to be, his main job is to teach they who have been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. People who are ready for something more than the meat of, or the milk of the gospel, people who are ready to listen and to learn the meat of the gospel, and that's what we do on these radio shows. Well, people come to me secretly all the time. Well, it's been... They don't come to me as much as they used to. But we do baptisms, and we do other ordinances. And then they go back into their congregations, and they say, well, what should we do? And I said, well, I always tell them, look, I was told to command here and to gather people here, but you need to get revelation for yourself. And if you're not supposed to be here, you need to be a light to the people where you're at. Don't tell them about me unless the Spirit confirms that you should but be a light to the people so there are members of of the church that i created that i started back in 2013 who are molds inside the lds church and i love it i love it because um you know they're not being excommunicated and they listen to these things, and they're able to interject light and knowledge into the Sunday school, uh, you know, in the elders' quorums and the relief societies and talks within churches. And the LDS church doesn't know that they are members of the Church of the Living Messiah. And I just think that is hilarious. So back in the day, um, before the Internet and all of that, they actually used to, like, monitor if they knew that you were a fundamentalist and you were having cottage meetings or group meetings in your house, they would actually take down license plate numbers of cars and they would use the police department to find out who those cars belonged to so they could go and excommunicate them and put up disciplinary. They can't do that anymore. Guess what, LDS Church? And I know you listen to this. I know you do. I know you know who, you, who I am. But you can't do that anymore. People can listen to the to the iTunes to Fundamentally Mormon or the Kingdom of God or nothing. They can be in the groups that we have on Facebook and the pages, and they can just read it anonymously. And you can't do anything about it at all. And I love it. And I I'm here to say, and I actually had this dream while I was taking my nap tonight. And my wife actually laughed at me when I told her the dream. I was dreaming that we were in uh, our Orangeville ward, which, by the way, I cursed that ward. Um, And that ward 
went from over full capacity at church every Sunday to they had to close the ward down. So anyway, but I so that ward no longer exists, and everybody that was going to church, they all stopped going except for a few. Um, and I did not intentionally. I did not. I if they would have just left me alone and let me be in the church, I I would. I don't bring up things at church that are controversial, and I stick. I was a gospel doctrine teacher for many years, and an elders quorum teacher, and I did other jobs in the church, and I stick to what the lesson manual is. When I was a student and not the teacher, I would prepare a lesson for what was going on the next week, even though I wasn't teaching, and then I could sit on the side of the class, which is my favorite place to be. I would always, so I have PTSD because of some really horrible stuff I went through when I was younger. So I would take a chair and I would put it against the wall on the side of the classroom so I could see everyone. And I could see the teacher, and the teacher would teach, and I would make comments from the side to the classroom. And I loved it. I loved it. But um, down here, feels threatened by me, so the state uh, president threatened to have me trespassed if I even spoke at church, uh, despite President Thomas Monson telling my former state president in Spanish Fork to leave me alone and to let me participate in the meetings, um, everything except for prayer and sacrament, but they would leave me, because Thomas Monson knew who I, he, well, he's dead now, but I was married to President Hinckley's great niece. I used to go to church at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building with them after music and the spoken word, and then my singles ward started at like 1.30 p.m., so then I'd go to church with them. And then uh, before I got married to President Hinckley's great niece, I used to date President Monson's great niece. So I know who these people are, and they know who I am. And Thomas Monson told my state president up in Spanish Fork to not or to leave me alone, let me participate in the meetings. And it was kind of funny because when the state president would see me, he would make a beeline for the door unless he was supposed to talk or something because he didn't want to talk to me. He was like, oh, what is this apostate doing? Why does the president of the church allow him to speak? Uh, you know, but I wouldn't bring anything controversial up in church, and I wouldn't do that down here in Orangeville either. But the Castledale stake president didn't follow the instructions in my file, and he made hell for us uh, by leaking information and doing a so there was so it was just stupid that's why i don't go to the lds church anymore because of how bad it got over in orangeville and that's why i'm glad that we don't live near orangeville but we still live in emory county because that's where i was told to go and we live on a farm and uh we don't have to worry about it because we don't live in city limits but we live in a stake and we live in a ward but i don't trust them i've met with the bishop one time and I just told him, look, we go to a non-denominational uh, church in Price, Utah, and we try to keep everything separate. So we just it's, – it's the way it has to be. But anyway, um, and I would love to be able to go to church. I miss going to an LDS church. I miss I, – I would love it if I could – 
um, meet up with some fundamentalists in the area and go to their church. But uh, the authority claims of the fundamentalists, they drive me insane. And the, all of the weird, the extra doctrine that they just create among the different groups, I'm like, uh, I can't keep my mouth shut. But anyway, but I would love to go back to Institute. And Emmett has the opportunity to do that, but he doesn't have my love for the gospel or the experiences that I have had. So, you know, whatever. Anyway, we're on page 91. And, oh, hold on here. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of issues. Was it my turn to read? Was I supposed to read, Emma? I can't remember. Yeah, you you were supposed to, and then you talked about everything. (laughs) This is going to be a 12-part radio show. This chapter is going to be forever. Just, just a warning you now. So anyway, let's see here. All right, we're on page 91, and I'll read this page. This critical passage in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, has two declarations commonly spoken of as promises to Peter. To give are to him Christ will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, while whatsoever he shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. While was Peter to bind and loose? Men or things, persons or teachings? Do they signify powers or pri- and privileges conferred on Peter exclusively or represent- representatively? Do they belong to other apostles or to other offices, officers besides apostles? Can the powers be exercised by individuals or the church alone? And quote, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Volume 3, page 1791. And you know what? These questions are great. This is why you have to get revelation for yourself for the correct interpretation of Scripture with confirmation of the Holy Spirit to try to, to, you know, test the Spirit. If you don't have that, you become what all of the other churches are, which are full of apostasy and false interpretations. They believe lies of doctrines of men mingled with Scripture and Second Thessalonians chapter 2 because they believe the lie, they receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. And why did, what, what does that mean? They didn't love the truth to go to God to find out as a child of God the Father to our Father. They didn't go to him to find out what the true interpretation of Scripture is. And the punishment is that they should believe the lie that they all might be damned which means stopped in your progression because you did not have a love of the truth, a love enough to go to God and follow the instructions in the New Testament about if you lack wisdom, ask God and all of the other revelations in the scriptures, Old, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Doctrine and Covenants, all of it. There's places in the scriptures. It says God would that all of his children were prophets. Moses tried to bring the people up to meet God face to face so they could all be prophets. He still wants that for every single one of us. 
there are so many different ways that you can interpret one scripture, let alone all of the uh, combination of, of, of scriptures, verses throughout the Bible, that you can have thousands of different churches with thousands and millions of different ideas and denominations and thoughts and, you know, the thoughts of men mingled with scripture. And this is why you have the great apostasy. This is why it's so important to have a prophet to teach the people how to become prophets for themselves. So this presents another problem, how to interpret the binding and loosing, loosing powers connected with those keys. As previously mentioned, priesthood keys can both lock and unlock, close and open. So we must accept the fact that the keys Peter received were to do the same thing. When Jesus said to Peter that he could bind and loose, this indicated that Peter was supposed what uh, Peter was supposed to do. I'm sorry. This indicated that Peter was supposed to do something with the with his keys. These were an active, not merely a symbol of power or authority. It is possible that such keys of power have been given before, and perhaps many times, as indicated by Isaiah, quote, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the keys of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall, shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. That's the binding and loosing keys that Peter had. That's, anyway, that's Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 through 22. The apostle Orson Pratt inferred that his power was held by servants of God in all dispensations. Take it away, Emmett. Okay. The authority commit, or committed into the hands of the servants of God in all its dispens, or in all dispensations of the gospel is the power to bind on the earth, and it is bound in heaven, to seal the on the earth, and it, it is sealed in heaven to lose on the earth, and it is loose, or loosed in the heavens. And whosoever sins they remit here on the earth, they are to be remitted in the heavens, and whosoever sins they retain here upon the earth, they are retained against those individuals in the heavens. This is the authority of the servants of God in all dispensations of the gospel from the earliest ages of the world until the present time. Any authority which does not embrace this power in the administration of ordinances is altogether useless and in vain. Baptism received at the hands of any unauthorized person is good for nothing. Uh, Journal of Discourses 783. The authority of priesthood is usually denied by most churches because they have no way to connect back to its origin. But without the priesthood, or without priesthood, there is no power to seal and loose, as indicated by those keys. John Taylor loved to use this argument with 
Protestant churches, and on one occasion he explained, In talking with the Church of England ministers, I have sometimes asked them where they got their authority from. This is, or that is a kind of question they hardly see or deem admissible. But they would say, well, if we must confess, we got it from the Roman Catholics. Where did they get it from? From Peter. But unfortunately, you uh, Episcopalians, I can't pronounce that, say that the Roman Catholics <laughs> oh, are here. i two things real quick. That's Episcopalians, and you should what know is that. that that is a group of people that originated, I think, in England, and it has to do with, I think it's King Henry VIII. Sounds like a dinosaur. I, I, yes, all Episcopalians are dinosaurs. Okay, the other thing, too. When you see a number followed by a colon and then a longer number, please say Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page, whatever it is, or whatever, that first number is always going to be volume, whatever, page, whatever. That way you're not saying 783, because that sounds like you're saying page 783. So you have to be very precise, and when you see that configuration of numbers with the colon, always say volume, whatever the number is page, whatever the number is, so that people don't get confused about what you're saying. So, but unfortunately, you Episcopalian dinosaurs, go ahead, Emmett. All right, continuing on. But unfortunately, you dinosaurs say that the Roman Catholics are in error. Yes, they are in error. Well, if that be the case, how could they confer power upon you? Do not the scriptures say if a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Oh, say they, they might retain their power even if they had lost their virtue. Oh, indeed, you admit that much. Well, if they had power to bind on earth and to bind in heaven, they had power to loose on earth and loose in heaven. And if they had power to give the priesthood, they had power to take it away. And if they cut you off, or, or, yeah, if they cut you off, you have no authority. They do not like to reason upon these things, but I do. Journal of Discourses, uh, chapter... 13, uh, verse 14, or page 14? No. <laughs> Journal of Discourses, volume. volume 13, page 14. Okay, so i got to say this. These uh, Protestants are called Protestants because they protested the, ca the authority of the Catholic Church, and Martin Luther wasn't the first to do this, but... He came up with the, the priesthood of all believers to get around the biblical principle of priesthood authority and keys. And they basically tried to downplay that because the Catholic Church claims authority, priesthood authority and keys, which are biblical. So they had to like make up this false doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Uh, furthermore, whenever it's talking about the whore of all the earth, the reason it's talking about the whore is because the whore is the church. The church should be the bride of Christ, and when they go go prostituting themselves out after pagan ideals and Babylonian rituals and all of that, they become a whore to God. They are an unfaithful wife, and they are cast to the wayside. Now, it talks about the whore of all the earth and her many harlots. 
the harlots are the Catholic Church, are the Catholic Church, uh, are the the Protestant churches that come from her, the the Mother Church. They are the harlots. Now, when the LDS Church goes whoring themselves after Babylonian principles and pagan practices, which they do in their holidays and in a whole bunch of other things, they too become the whore of all the earth, and the uh, the branches that come out from her become her many harlots when they take on those same principles and do not separate themselves from Babylon the Great or the world. Also, in the Catholic Church, you've got these Protestants that come out of the church that had no authority to begin with because of apostasy, and then they have to either claim authority through the church that cut them off, or they have to say that um, that they, you know, the priesthood of all believers. So they don't have authority. They're, you don't get authority by going to a theological seminary and somebody teaching you and getting a degree in something. That's not how restoration happens. It actually had to happen from the heavens. So in Jesus' day, the keys were conferred upon Jesus by the Father himself. On the mountain, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father came down and personally laid his hands upon Jesus Christ. And I know that's not scriptural as far as the scriptures we have today, but nevertheless, it is the truth. And the keys that that um, Elijah and Moses and uh, I can't remember, Enoch, there was three individuals, and I, I, it's slipping my mind right now. They actually gave different keys to Jesus, and Jesus passed them to Peter. And when Peter died, they went to John, who never died. He held the keys through all of these all of these uh, you know centuries of time until they were conferred upon Joseph Smith, a mortal man living upon the earth. And and now he has those he had those keys and they were not taken from him when he died. Um, but those keys were given to me by the Father, the same as they were given by uh, by the Father to Jesus Christ, who was the first witness of the Father, or Messiah ben jo- uh, Judah. I am Messiah ben Joseph, the second witness of the Father, and I received the keys the same way that that Jesus did. I was taken upon the mountain uh, that I went to the house of God or the temple of God on top of Mount Vashel, and I physically had the Father lay his hands upon my head the same way that Jesus had the Father lay his hands upon Jesus' head and confer priesthood keys upon Jesus. That happened to me as well. That's why I know about these things. But anyway, continuing on. If people do not understand what they claim to possess, it is doubtful that they have it, had it in the first place, nor do they know how to use it. So it is with the keys given to Peter. On the questions asked by Christian churches today, what could Peter bind and loose on earth and in heaven? And a few of these powers will be mentioned here, showing their connection with the re- restored keys. Compare the first quotation from the Bible 
with that of a Latter-day Scripture showing how the same power has been restored and fulfilled in our dispensation, the remitting of sins in the Bible. Whoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. John chapter 20, verse 23. In the latter days, quote, Whosoever sins you remit on earth shall be remitted eternally in the heavens, and whosoever sins you retain on earth shall be retained in heaven. Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 46. Cursings and blessings. In the Bible it says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That are sheet or Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 in the latter days that whosoever he blesses shall be blessed and whosoever he curses shall be cursed. Doctrine and Covenant section 124 verse 93. And you know what? I have the authority to do those things as well and I don't like to do them. Because when I first realized I had this authority, when people would like come up and call me heretic and all of this, uh, there was an individual that, that did that, and I cursed him and washed my whole body off against him, not just my feet. And the curse of God came upon him with sores and poor health and a whole bunch of other things. And I just did that because I wanted him to repent. I told him what I was doing. He's like, he was like, you're a heretic, and he was trying to argue with me and all of this and that, and how you're a false prophet and all these things. So I told him, look, this is what I'm going to do, and this is going to happen. And when I did it, it, the curse did come upon him. And instead of repenting, he would be like, I don't know why I have to go through my Garden of Gethsemane experience, but I'll do it for God. And he continued in his wickedness and, and uh opposing me and calling me a false prophet and heretic and all the name calling that, that he did, he just wouldn't repent. Now, Art Pritchard, he did the same thing. Like I said, we used to get in arguments and, and debates and stuff on Kevin Crowd's old radio show and I actually enjoyed it. And I met with Art uh, one or two times personally, but on the radio show, it was like every week. And I liked Art. But Art used to, like, call me names and say I was a heretic and a false prophet and get all stupid. And one day I just had enough, and I cursed him. And I told him that I cursed him. And I told him, please repent. Stop doing this. And he just refused. And I watched him over the course of a year. Sorry. He got sicker and sicker and sicker, and he was fine when I cursed him. And almost a year to the day that I cursed him, instead of him repenting, he died. Because of this and other experiences I've had with these keys, I don't like to curse people anymore. I just wanted him to repent. I don't get to choose the curse that God places upon them. 
and in my ignorance or my I don't know I, I just I didn't realize I just wanted to repent that they don't and I've had experiences like that with other people and so you gotta be like really off the deep end and I don't just curse anymore. If I do something I will say, Heavenly Father, please I this is what I feel like I need to do and I'm gonna do it unless you tell me no or or I'll ask him for permission and then he usually tells me to be patient with them. So I just try to be as patient as I can be. But um The power to curse. Shouldn't be taken lightly. And I hear, I actually just watched the guy from the heart of the matter. Um, McCraney, I think his name is. He used to be a Mormon and he does this evangelical program today. And some, I'm sorry, uh, censor your ears, but douchebag Mormon was like, uh, whatever your name is, I can't remember what his name is. I am in the bishopric of my ward, and I have to tell you one thing. And he saw, oh, what is that? And he said, by the power of my priesthood, I rebuke you. And he was going on and on. And, and this McCraney guy is all like, uh, uh, is something supposed to happen? Uh, what's going on? Uh, was something supposed to happen? Because he gets cursed <laughs> and rebuked all the time. And he's all, well... I have the authority to do, and actually you don't have the authority to do that. If you did, you don't have it anymore because Daniel chapter 12 has been fulfilled wherein the man clothed in linen, who I am, severed the power, the priesthood of all the holy people in July of 2013. And any authority you thought you had before that, you don't have it anymore. I don't care what branch of Mormonism you come from. It's been severed. But for this guy, even before that, because he's in the mainstream church, because Heber J. Grant stopped conferring priesthood in 1921, they only ordained offices, but they were instructed not to confer priesthood. So from 1921 all the way to 1957, priesthood wasn't conferred, and many of your lines of authority are broken. They were broken. There were some that were not broken in the mainstream church, but it's because of the wickedness and apostasy of Heber J. Grant that the lines of authority have been broken. And um, well, I don't know. I just, this man, Heber J. Grant, near the end of his life, said that the heavens were as brass to him and he had never gotten any revelation from God. And yet he was he did so many things as president of the church that he was, shouldn't have done. He shouldn't have acted unless he got revelation on, on major topics like the word of wisdom, which he used as a ploy to gain popularity in the world because of the suffrage movement and prohibition at the time. So they instituted the word of wisdom, which is not given by way of commandment, but now it's a commandment in the LDS church, even though there's never been a revelation that says that, you know, and there's like all these things that he did 
And and then he says, uh, the heavens are his breath to him. He never had had any revelation from God. Well, there you go with your apostasy. So all of these people that are running around like cursing people or blessing people or even baptizing people, if your line of authority is is null and void because no priesthood was conferred upon somebody who had a, in your line of authority before you, you don't have it either. That's part of the reason why God did a hard reset on the, the whole thing. It's because of apostasy and wickedness and because many people who thought they had priesthood don't have it. And John Taylor even said that. Many of you who, most of you who think that you have priesthood don't even have it anymore. And that was back in the days of John Taylor. And then you fast forward a number of years from 1921 to 1957, and oh my gosh, you're screwed. If you really know, if you really knew what was going on, you don't have the authority you think you have as LDS people. But anyway, that's why um, in Daniel chapter 12, there had to be a hard reset where the man clothed in linen scatters the power, the priesthood of all the holy people in the last days, and that's the restoration branches are the holy people. Anyway, judgment in the ministry. Bible, in the Bible, so Emmett, whenever you see this where it says Bible and then there's a colon, just add a couple of words. It helps the listener to be able to understand the context. So if I read it like you might read it, I would say judgments in the ministry, Bible, and whosoever, that's not how I do it. Because I know that there has to be some context. Yeah. So judgments in the ministry, I'm just going to read it from now. All right, right now. In the Bible, it says, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that city house or out of that house or city shake the dust of your feet verily i see unto it shall be more tolerable for that land and uh, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city Matthew chapter 10 verses 14 through 15, and we're on page 94, and then this next part, it says latter days, and in whosoever house ye enter, and when you see something like that, just add a couple more words to the context so people who are listening and not reading along can understand. In the latter days, it says, and then start the quote, so go ahead, Emmett. Okay. Page 94, I believe. Did you finish that quote? Yeah, you did. In the latter days, and in whosoever, or whatsoever house ye enter, and they receive you not, ye shall depart speedily from that house, and shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. DMC, uh, verse, or volume 75, uh, chapter 20, page 20, whatever. Um, uh, it's kind of different with this. Journal of you have to have um you have to I don't know, cognition or you have to realize, okay, if it says J D that's always gonna be volume whatever, page whatever. But in the Doctrine and Covenants you have different sections. So I would say Doctrine and Covenants section seventy five verse twenty. If it's if it's a times and seasons quote, it'll be volumes. So times and seasons, volume, whatever, 
page, whatever. If it's enzyme, it's the same thing. So you have to know, and I just know these things because I've been studying ever since before you were alive, way, way, way before you were alive. So I understand these things where you may not because you're 15, but and I'll help you with that. So if it says Doctrine and Covenants or DNC, section 75, verse 20. Okay, go ahead, Emma. Okay. Um, so I just did that one, part of that. Okay. Sealing and binding marriages in the Bible. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Uh, I know that one because it's the Bible. <laughs> latter days, or in the latter days. And again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, and it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise, by him who is anointed, unto whom I have appointed this power, and the keys of this priesthood, it shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them, in time and through all eternity, and shall be of full force when they are out of the world. Uh, DNC section 132, uh, I don't remember what you said, but 19. The dead judged from the books, in the Bible. Verse and 18. I saw the dead, verse, okay. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. In the latter days, whatsoever you record on earth shall be recorded in heaven, and whatsoever you do not record on earth shall not be recorded in heaven. For out of the books shall your dead be judged according to their own works. Times and seasons... Volume 4, I believe, uh, page 934, and we're on page 95. Yes, that's right. So when you see it say Bible, just say in the Bible it says, and then read the quote. When it says latter days, say in the latter days it says, and then read the quote. So we're on page 95. Sailing up to eternal life. In the Bible it says, Father. I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me, lovest me before the foundation of the earth. And quote John chapter 17, verse 24. But in the latter days it says, quote, and end of us many as, end of as many, ugh, and of as many as the Father shall bear record, to you shall be given power to seal them up unto eternal life. Amen. Doctrine and Covenants, section 68, verse 12. Recording visions. In the Bible it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Revelations, chapter 1, verse 19. In the latter days, it says, And while we were yet in the Spirit, the Lord commanded us that we should write the vision. And quote, Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 28. 
there are many ceilings and powers that will be mentioned later, of all which are accomplished through the keys of the priesthood. Number three, dangers and warnings. When men can bind and loose on earth and in heaven, it is an awesome power. And as with all power powers, they can be used constructively or destructively. Thus, they carry the burden of a tremendous responsibility. And that's why I was talking about the cursing and all of that and how I don't like to do that anymore because I realize through uh, through experience how heavy those burdens really are, and I didn't realize that before. So anyway, those who possess priesthood keys are under great obligation to comply with the laws pertaining to that priesthood. Jesus set an example. He had the audacity to speak against the most respected and honorable men of the Jewish community, or in other words, he went up against the leaders of the church. They were learned. They were wealthy. They were doctors, lawyers, and political leaders, same as today, the pillars of the society. They were also the religious leaders and the best students of the scriptures. How could Jesus speak so terribly about them? And uh, we're on page 96, but let me just say something real quick. One of the reasons why the church... So Moroni, when he first came to Joseph Smith, he talked about this man who was like, who was like, well, he was called a Christ, right? And he was also called in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he said that, Moroni said that that man was Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. And Jesus Christ had already been rejected by his people. It's not talking about Messiah ben Ju- uh, Judah or Jesus, he's talking about Messiah ben Joseph. Moroni's talking about Messiah ben Joseph. And he would be rejected by his people. The reason for that is because everybody thinks that they're right and they don't have to be set in order. In Second Nephi chapter 28, it says that most people are in gross darkness and error. Nevertheless, there are a few who are the humble followers of Christ, but they err many times in doctrine because of the precepts of men. So they, they all err. Every single, one of, every single one of the branches out there are in error. When God sends the one mighty and strong, who is Messiah ben Joseph, who is the second witness of the Father, God the witness, come in the flesh, who I am, they will not be set in order. And that's why Moroni said that, nevertheless, he, they, this man, this, this Messiah, would be rejected by his people because they all think that they don't need to be set in order, and they think everything that they do is correct, and they will argue till they're blue in the face about about certain things, and they don't they treat these things lightly. They treat me lightly, and they want to argue with me and tell me how wrong I am, even though I've gotten I have gotten the doctrine from God. I was set in order personally before I was sent to send uh, to set you in order uh, as far as doctrine and all of that goes. And so most of the people will not be set in order. That's why Moroni said that he would be rejected by his people. And you know what prophecy fulfilled? Isaiah saw the same thing in Isaiah chapter uh, 49, where it's talking about Messiah ben Joseph. 
and that he would go among his people and that eventually God would have to give him a new people. Like, Jesus Christ didn't pick people from the church to be his apostles. He picked the working man. People who could be molded, who didn't know a lot, but they were open to believing and to listening and to learning. And they were not uh, people who already had all of the knowledge and knew all the things because they were religious authorities and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. Because those people, in their pride, would not listen, and they did not want to be set in order, and they would not be set in order. So God had to go among the mean man, which means in, in uh, that actually means the humble man, because the other people wouldn't listen. And Solomon like, said, like "There's you, nothing new under the sun." You are ahead, uh, you. If you were, like, high in the church, you probably wouldn't listen, like today. Um, but, like, you well, yeah. were just some random uh, oil field worker? or No, you were just some random person Tr- at the truck time. Truck driver. <laughs> yeah, that one. I was a truck driver. And I'm still a truck driver. And I still work. Jesus was a carpenter. He went and He went among the common man of that time, and those were the apostles that he chose not from people within the church because you cannot set the house of God in order with people who think they don't need to be set in order. So God chose me, this random nobody, to do this work. And that's the way it is. That's the way it had to be because because he could mold me and to choose me. Like, when I talked to Jesus Christ face to face after the father did what he did, he told me all the things that he, that have happened to me in my life, which I've been through some really horrible things that he allowed those things to happen to me, that he might mold me into the servant that he needed me to be. I, and even when I was in the church, I was a truck driver. So I was not, I was, I had my records in a ward in a stake but I would rarely go to that ward or stake because um, I was driving all the time. I'd go out for a month or two or three at a time, and every two weeks I could have time off. So I would be like, I'd tell the dispatcher, I'd really like to go visit this city. And then wait for me to get there. So every three, uh, two to three weeks, I would just take a couple of days off and go to that. And, and every Sunday – I would try to drive as much as I could uh, up until Sunday so I could take Sunday off. And then I would call the church wherever I was at, and I'd be like, hey, can you send somebody over to pick me up? I'm at this truck stop. And they would. And I would go to church all over the place. And I would just be some random stranger going to some random ward somewhere in North America. And, like, they couldn't control me, and they didn't even think that they should. But I would sit in class and I would like, and uh, I would talk about, like I knew what all the lessons were, so I'd study and everything. And it was great. And people would be like, oh, you really, you know, you really helped with the meeting. Oh, you know, and they'd all be like, uh, well, and it usually would be like, oh, can we bring you to our house, like a missionary? Can we bring you to our house and have dinner with you? And if I had time, I'd be like, yeah, sure, let's go. You know, so... um, 
So that's the way it was with me. And like, even though I was a member in the church, I was not controlled by their brainwashing techniques that they do with it, with people who don't go to many different churches. I was all over the place and nobody knew when I was coming and nobody knew where I was going unless I told them, you know, like I would just show up and I'd be like on Sunday morning, hey, and I'd usually call uh, earlier in the morning when the bishop was doing his council meeting with his counselors and the secretary and all of that and I would just talk to them. And they'd be like, yeah, sure. So they'd finish their meeting, and then they would send me before church starts, and I would go to church. And it was great, and I loved it. You know, but anyway, let's see. Was I reading, or was you reading, or were you reading? I think I was reading, huh? Anyway, let me just read this. How could Jesus speak so terribly about such men? Nevertheless, He called them hypocrites, blind guides, fools, whited sepulchers who appear to be righteous unto men but are within full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Matthew chapter 23, verse 28. And let me just say, I always like to bring this scripture up and others like it. Jesus called these people out and he used the most vile terms, the most offensive terms that he could use against these hypocrites. It was basically like he was swearing at them. You know, so you've got this long-haired hippie dude <laughs> going among the churches and synagogues of, of their day and actually confronting the leaders of the church using the most vile and descriptive terms that he could use to call them out. It's the same thing as him running around and swearing at people and using, you know, if somebody did that, what Jesus did to the church today, they would be, oh, they'd clutch their pearls and say how horrible and evil Jesus was. You know, um, and I know I'm getting off on on the tangents, but something you may or may not know about me. I was raised by military individuals. My grandparents on my father's side were, my grandfather was in the army. My step-grandfather of my dad, my dad's stepfather who raised him, was in the army, and then he joined the Air Force, I think. And my grandmother was in the Air Force. On... And they're all passed on now. On my mother's side, my grandmother was a Navy nurse, and my grandfather was a Marine. My stepfather was in the Navy, and then he became Air Force. Okay, so I'm a military brat. And Kim, my wife, is also a military brat. Uh, her stepfather was in the Air Force Reserves. He was in the Air Force, and then it, like so, we're raised by military. And then, not on top of all of that, like I'm a truck driver and uh, and an oil field worker, and I work in the coal industry and all of this. And yeah, I can have a mouth about me. And you know what? I. I think I should probably care about how you perceive me, so I try not to swear on the radio program. 
but I will I swear that it's not a sin. Swearing in the a biblical uh, meaning of swearing doesn't mean what you think it means. It's, they I make up these. And swearing, uh, as in the biblical term, is not saying bad words. <laughs> it is swearing an oath uh, to someone other than, I believe it's uh, originally used, like, don't swear as in don't swear oaths against God, or like, not with him. Or, yeah, so, yeah, and so what religious people like to do in all ages of history is they will build up hedges around the law, and they will turn their man-made ideas into laws and doctrines and that's what has happened with swearing and using craft language it's not a sin it is that these people want to make these laws up and they turn it into a sin but it's the precepts of men mingled with scripture that's all it is and when jesus did what he did in his day and everybody took offense at it because he was using the most craft language available at the time. It, it's the same thing as using craft language today. And they kicked him out of the church back then, and they do the same today. They would throw Jesus out of the church for using the same kind of descriptive terms in our modern tongue as he did in the ancient tongue back then. So anyway, and, and I just uh, I have to bring that up because it drives me nuts. And like, like I said, I will try to limit that kind of, um, you know, those kind of words because I'm trying not to offend people. I want them to hear the meat of the gospel, and I want them to understand that they need to repent and come unto God and do it as He has asked us to do it, and turn back to the first works of the restoration. But in my private life, I'll be like, this is a bunch of BS, and I'll use the the real words, and I'm trying. I, I've decided on the podcasts, I keep on putting it at PG-13, because I know that sometimes I'm going to swear. Like the other day, some, try not to swear, but some jerk truck driver when I was turning uh, in the turn lane to go onto Ridge Road in, in Carbon County, he decided right after the intersection to cross a double line and to get into the suicide lane that I was already in. And we were going to have a head-on collision. But he's, you know, and I think I said something on the air. And I don't think you could hear it too well. And it was quick, but I was like, F, this and then I kind of complained about what just happened on the air because it's a live radio show and I'm driving a truck when I'm doing this most of the time, you know, so I always try to put it at PG 13 on the, uh, on the, you know, the podcast because I, I know mean, sometimes I'm going to say hear something. Hear me out here. According to movie ratings, PG 13 is allowed to contain uh, one use of the F word. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and I try not things. to say the F word. <laughs> now, in my regular life, I might be this effing idiot, you know, and I might say that. It's the way I was raised. And, like, when I was in the church, I tried so hard to curb my tongue. But if something stupid happens, I'd be like, what the, f-? you know. And so that's the way I am. And when I realized, and then when I went to God about this, 
And he told me, no, this is not my commandment. And he set me straight on it. I'm like, ugh. But like uh, Paul did, he says, I'm, I, I, try to be th- uh, I try to be all things to all people, to the Roman, I'm a Roman, to a whatever. Because I want you to hear the message, and I'm trying not to offend. But people that know me in real life, they know that if something happens, I'm just going to be like, what the heck? hell are you doing you know or whatever it is so i always put it to pg-13 because i can't edit these programs they are live and whatever happens happens if somebody comes on the show and wants to say things that they shouldn't say i can't edit that out because this is live what it is is what you get what happens is what you hear so um you know, anyway, um, getting back to the scripture. So that, that was uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 28. But here's another scripture in Matthew chapter 23. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape, uh, escape, escape the damnation of hell? Verse 33. Jesus warned his disciples, quote, and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came, floods came and the wind blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall thereof. Matthew chapter 7 verse 26 through 27. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before uh, before my Father which is in heaven. He that taketh not this cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 33 and 38. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein, wherein most of his mighty works were done. Upbraid, that means he scolded the crap out of them. And they would have been like, oh, they clutched their pearls. And they'd be like, oh, you're so offensive. Get out of here, Jesus. We know that you're a false prophet sent by the, you know, whatever they say. They do the same thing in our day, but whatever. So he's upbraiding these cities wherein these mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Karozin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judge in the day of judgment than for you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 and 22. Kerosene was near the sea. Of Galilee today it is a shamble of ruins, and Eusebius, Eusebius, which was uh, an ancient theologian, said it was a ghost town when he lived in 264 A.D. Bethsaida was also located near the Sea of Galilee, but no one knows what happened to it or where it was actually located. Capernaum was another town that fell under the curse of the master, and it lost its identity and apparently was reduced to rubble near uh, near the north of the Sea of Galilee. Page 97. Emmett, take it away. Goat master. Goat master. Me. 
<laughs> okay, page 97. Today we can learn from Jesus' warnings about the scribes and Pharisees from making the commandment of God of none of none effect by your tradition. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse, or chapter 6, 15. Oh, I'm stuttering. I'm tired. Chapter 15, verse 6. Okay. And for teaching the doctrines, or teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Uh, verse 9. And to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. Keep in mind that these warnings applied mainly to those who were reputed to hold the Aaronic priesthood. Jesus warned all people that whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, if it were better for them or for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea, woe unto the world because of offenseness. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man. Yeah? Woe unto the world because of offenses. Offenses. I am not reading. <laughs> uh, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. The Savior then repeated the statement regarding the keys for binding and loosing on earth and in heaven. Uh, verse 18. He explains, So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Uh, chapter 20, verse 16. When he came to the temple, he spoke to the chief priests and elders and chastised them for not believing in John the Baptist, and said that, the publicans or the publicans and the harlots go to the kingdom of God before you. Matthew 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 31. The 23rd chapter of Matthew records his chastisements of the Jewish leaders. Would Jesus have grounds to give the same chastisements to those who claim the uppermost seats today? It is written that all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus and put him to death. And they all say unto him, uh, Pilate, I believe, let him be crucified. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 and 22. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Verse 25. By invoking such a cursing upon themselves, Jerusalem soon uh, first lost over a million of its people in the war with the Romans, or in a war with the Romans lost most of the others who were taken to Rome as slaves, lost their priests and priesthood, lost their city of Jerusalem, lost their nation and became wanderers over the earth, and became persecuted people, being driven, hated, beaten, and burned for centuries. And that is the end of that page. 98. Now after nearly 2,000 years, the curse is beginning to be removed. Thus, it can be clearly seen that along with the blessings Upholding priesthood keys comes the tremendous burden and responsibility, which, if not exercised properly, Emma, meet your phone, can bring condemnation and cursings as a result. Number four, the rock of revelation. And this is such an important principle. Just before Jesus told Peter, 
he would give him the keys, Jesus asked his disciples, whom do say, who do men say that I am? The, uh, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. They answered with a variety of speculations. Then he turned to Peter and asked, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter replied, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, verses 15 and 16. To which Christ responded, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed uh, revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So he got revelation that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus says, And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock will I build my church. Now, what is the rock that he's talking about? Upon this rock. Peter received revelation from God. That is the rock, the rock of revelation that he will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it shall, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 19. Now, with all that I know about all of the anti-crap that the devil has, has uh, spun to destroy Joseph Smith and try to destroy the work of the restoration, I'm built upon the rock of revelation. I was an anti-Mormon Baptist before God set me straight, and I received a very powerful spiritual witness along with the healing when I asked God to show me the truth and to heal me and that I would serve him for the rest of my life. And when I finally got around to asking, is Joseph Smith a true prophet, and is the Book of Mormon true, the Holy Spirit came down upon me with great fire, and I was completely healed. So there was the witness of the Spirit, and a miracle went along with it, and I heard the voices of a massive multitude or choir in heaven singing praises to God. I cannot, even if none of the other stuff happened to me, I cannot deny that God revealed to me the truth of the validity of the Book of Mormon and of the Prophet Joseph Smith. So when I read all of this anti-stuff now, I do it because I want to know what people are saying, but it doesn't faze me. There have been things that have troubled me, So back when the DNA research came out that there's no Indians in America that have DNA from biblical lands, that bothered me. But I knew by revelation and confirmation of the Spirit along with the witness and the miracle that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. So I'm like, how could this be? And it really bothered me. It shook me. And so I turned to God and I pled for an answer from him. Now, it turns out that there actually is DNA from the Middle East among the ancestors or among certain groups of Indians in North America. So this whole lie that the anti-Mormons spew about no DNA, it's a lie. They're only telling you part of the truth. Yeah, there are Indians that do not have uh, the DNA of the Lamanites within them, but... There are those who were Nephites who did not get the curse, uh, 
who still had the correct DNA. Now, when God revealed to me the truth of the matter back in the day before I realized, or before the other research came out, he just said, I cursed the Lamanites and I changed their DNA structure because DNA is the building blocks of who people are. And when the curse came upon them, the DNA changed and so it doesn't match. That's how there can be Indians who are descendants of Middle Eastern Israelites and the DNA does not match because God has the ability and the power to change, which he did. He changed the building blocks of who they were, their DNA, when the curse came upon them. However, the Nephites who survived, because not all of them were destroyed, the Iroquois, the Seneca people, who I am a descendant of the Seneca, or of the Iroquois people, they were Nephites. And their DNA is haplogroup X DNA, and it comes from the Middle East. So this anti-Mormon lie is a lie. Another thing real quick before I go on, I know I'm at, you're getting tired. We're actually at 30%, so I can find a place to end if you're too tired to go on. So we might have to do three parts to this. But And I might just read, even though you can go to bed if you want. That's fine. But I want to talk about this other thing. So there's a lot of people that are like, oh, the book of Abraham is a fabrication because we have found fragments and none of those fragments have anything to do with Abraham or Moses or anything else. All they are are um, Egyptian papyri texts that were common to the age of that day and blah, 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 blah. Okay, that pisses me the F off. In the times and seasons, it said uh, it gave a description of the scrolls that Joseph had and how long they were. And I think all of them put together were like 189 feet long or something to that effect. They were really, really long. There was a lot of other information on there than just the text of Abraham and the book of, of Joseph and all of the other things that were on there. And I think there were there were a number of scrolls, but altogether it was like really long, right? So now the anti-Mormons come along and they're like, hey, none of the stuff that we have has anything to do with any of us. We know the book of Abraham is a fabrication. That pisses me off because the fragments that they have, if you put them all together, and there are many fragments, if you put them all together, they, they equal altogether about three feet long. Three feet out of 180-something uh, feet, and because of their little fragments that, that don't even uh, equal four feet of fragments, they equal up to, like, it's, it's like really close to three feet. You're like, oh, Joseph Smith was a false prophet. The book of Abraham is untrue. Here comes the PG-13. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's fabricated bullshit that they bring up, and I'm sorry if you're getting offended, but you know what? Lies offend me. And people are listening to this shit, this crap, and they're falling away from the church because they're not built upon the rock of revelation because the church teaches them to trust the leaders. And, you know, oh, yeah, you can get revelation, but 
you know, don't don't get too much revelation because we're the leaders, and the leaders will never lead you astray. And they don't teach people to stand upon the rock of revelation. True prophets teach people how to go to God for themselves. They don't try to stand up in front of the people and say, everybody must listen to me because I have all the truth and you need to just, that is trusting in the arm of flesh. And then the other thing that he says is maketh not flesh your arm, that is trusting in your own flesh. You need to go to God and stand upon the rock of revelation. And if you did that and you knew the Book of Mormon was true and you know the Book of Abraham is true, guess what? When these liars come along with all of the darts of Satan that they hold in their quiver and tell you that the fragments, they don't even talk about how much, like the length of fragments. You actually, you know, you actually have to go study and find out what exactly they're talking about. Most people won't do it. When, when they say, oh, the book of Abraham that we had, all of the scrolls have been found. We thought they were destroyed in the great Chicago fire, but actually... Uh, a museum in New York had them in their archives and they found them and uh, that I'll tell you that not only are they fragments but they only equal if you put them all together up to like three feet when in the times and seasons it was like if you put them all together it was like 189 feet worth of scroll fragments welcome back Emmett <laughs> Emmett just dropped so anyway, it pisses me off. I'm going to plug your headset in. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, it pisses me off. And I'm going to say things about it because it's just ignorance and lies. And you got people falling away who were never built upon the rock of revelation or even worse. They actually did get revelation. They had confirmation of spirit. And then these lies of the adversary come along and it kills their testimony. And then they reject the holy witness of the Holy Spirit that they got. And they become cursed in a way that is just extremely sad. So the LDS Church, because of what they're doing, because of their teachings and trusting in the arm of flesh, they're actually creating little sons of perdition. So you bet I'm going to be angry about the lies, not only of the anti-Mormons, but the apostasy of the LDS Church. It makes me so angry. Because it, it leads to spiritual death. And people turn away from the truth of the restoration based on, on twisting of facts and outright lies. Beginning back into the reading. First of all, it is interesting to understand more about the name Peter. Catholic research reveals, quote, we're on page 99. Emmett, did you want to read or do you want me to continue reading? I think this should continue for like the next page and then my headset will be charged enough to turn on and use. Okay, I'm only going to read to another section heading in the program anyway, because we're going to do three parts. We've only got eight minutes in the live streaming portion of the radio program. And by the way, anybody can call in from this point until we're done and we find that section heading. And I don't know how 
how far am I? Because uh, you're looking at the book, and we're on page 99. How many more pages tell a section heading so we can make a new part? Um, well, the next section heading is after page 103. Okay, so we'll just do that. All right. Guest callers can call in. I know it's early in the morning or late at night, whatever your perspective is, but the phone lines are open and we'll take phone calls. If you call in, make sure you do it in the next seven minutes because when we go into overdrive, which we don't often do anymore, the phone line shut off. I can't do anything about that. But if you are called in, you can stay on the phone and then we'll take your calls. But if you don't call in the next couple of minutes, you can't call in. So I don't control. I don't make the rules. Blog Talk Radio makes the rules. I try to follow them. All right. So we're gonna. I'm gonna read page 99. We're gonna get to page 103, and then we're going to end the program at that point. If we have callers, we will talk. We have an up up to an hour of overdrive. And we'll make use of that time if people want to come on the program. And any questions about Judaism, Christianity, or Mormonism, I will take. I don't know anything about, well, I know some things about other things like um, the Muslim Islam and all of that. But I'm not an expert in those things. I have studied them, but not in depth. Well, I have studied a lot, but I'm not an expert in those things. Anyway, page 99. In all likelihood, Peter's original name was Simon, or Shimon in Hebrew. It was Shimon, actually. The the form Shimon, or Simon, a genuinely Greek name, is used much more often, about 50 times. This could be simply a New Testament adaption of of a Hebrew name, and it is. Shimon, Simon, whatever. Uh, but it is also quite possible that Peter, like many of his counterpart, uh, compatriots, used two names, one Hebrew name, Shimon, and one Greek name, uh, Simon or Petra, Peter, anyway. However, it was neither of these names that he came to be generally known. Jesus, or Yeshua, gave him a new name, the Aramaic word for rock. In the primitive church, which was at first Aramaic speaking, this form of his name would have been most common. Later, it was transliterated into Greek as Cephas, but this form turns up only nine times in the New Testament. Once in John and eight times in the letters of Paul, In fact, only once does Paul refer to him in any other way. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, he calls him Peter. This is intended as a Greek translation of Kipa and is used more than 150 times in the Gospels and Acts. It told the Greek-speaking Christians more about Peter's function than a noncommittal Cephas. Finally, there is the double name Simon Peter or Shimon Petra. Simon Peter, which occurs about 20 times, mostly in John. And quote the New Catholic Encyclopedia, volume 11, page 201. 
This account of Peter's receiving the keys in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, is one of the most significant events in Christ's ministry. Yet it was completely omitted in the Gospel of Mark, Luke, and John. However, predominance of Peter is obvious from other recorded history, and when, whenever the names of 12 are listed, Peter is mentioned first. Even within the circle of the favored three, Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, who witnessed the raising of Jairus's, or Jairus's daughter, and actually that's where uh, Kim first got the name Arius, our son. So he's like, I really like the name Jarius, but I don't like there's a J on the front. So I think his name should be Arius. And so we're like, okay, so Arius. And, and when I first saw, I know, I'm on tangents all over the place tonight. When I first saw the 3D imaging of the ultrasound of Arius before he was born, when I first saw his face, I knew that his name should be Tiberius. Now, I did not. Now, I did not know who Arius or Tiberius were, and no, I'm not a. Fr- I I like Star Trek. James T. Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk. That's not where I got that from. I don't know where I got that from. But when I saw his face, I was like, his name is Tiberius. And, and Kim was like, his name is Arius. What? Oh, it's like that and one I, time. I and you saw his face. And his name was Tiberius. And then mom came along and said, no, it's Arius. <laughs> so uh, shortly after he was born, I was like, okay, like everybody's freaking out about James. Uh, we're all Star Trek fans. You must be Star No. So I was like, okay, well, where did Tiberius come from? It turns out that Tiberius was the Roman emperor during the life of Christ, and Arius was the Roman, uh, the naval naval admiral over the Roman legion, uh, the, the 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 navy, I guess. So it's just weird coincidences. But anyway, and then we're like, he has to have a normal name. So we're like, Kevin. Um, you know, we have a lot of friends. Kevin Kraut's one of them. But actually, it's we just like the movie, the movie up. Yeah. Uh, Kevin is a girl. Boy or a girl. Because, like, even after we looked at some of the ultrasounds, he was, like, hiding whether or not he was a boy <laughs> with his hands. So, we like, knew by the time. After... Okay, hold on. Location that we have 60 seconds left on the live streaming radio portion of this program. If you're going to call in, you got to do it now. The phone number is... Nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. That's nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. We have forty three seconds left in the live streaming portion of this radio program. The live streaming will be cut off in less than a minute. And the phone lines, if you've called in, you will stay on. You'll hear the rest of the program, and you can even talk to us and come on the air. Or uh, after the show, if there's people on and they haven't pushed one. And they stay on even after the music. I can actually pull you into the screening room and we can talk privately. So if you want to do it, you got to do it now. Ten seconds. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. Okay. Uh, Emmett, go ahead with what you're saying. Okay. So we got his name from Disney movie F. Uh, so we didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl for a long time. <laughs> 
Um, and in the movie Us, they called the bird Kevin for, like, the majority of the movie. And then they, like, halfway through the movie, find out that Kevin's a girl. He's all, Kevin's a girl? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I was listening to a radio program that I was trying to upload to YouTube last night when I was driving, or this morning when I was driving, or whatever, 24 hours ago. Um, a time. Before Kevin was born, before Arius was born, we were talking about how Kim was making one of her favorite meals, lemon pepper chicken with rice. And she's like, but I can't eat it because she has hypermethiopia gravidarium or some weird name. It sounds she's like got an alien it sounds like a hairy <laughs> Yeah. So she gets sick. When she even smells food, it, like she loses a lot of weight when she is pregnant. And she's a hefty girl anyway. But she gets sick, and she's always throwing up, and she gets, like, uh, what do they call it, morning sickness, except for it lasts all day long, and it, it's so stupid. Anyway, but um, I was like, yeah, so Kim's pregnant. We're talking about that, and I was like, this is before he's born, and his name shall be Colin. And then I was like, Kim's a girl? So even before we realized that his name would be Arius, Kevin, Tiberius, we we always called him Kevin, even before we knew he was a boy. And so, yeah. And he's two now, and he is so cute. And he is at my favorite age. I love it. I love it when they're between one to three. I love it. I love it. It's my favorite. I do, too, but, uh, because they're learning, but they're still, like, completely dumb, so they don't know anything. But they want to. And they're cute. <laughs> so they're like, yeah. And Arius is smart, too, and he knows lots of words. Yeah. So when we were doing the, or when we were watching the fireworks and they were blowing up and there were different colors, he was like, oh, blue, oh, red, oh, green, and we're like, ah, it's so cute. And he's known that since he was one, but like somebody that young, of course, Emmett could talk in full sentences by the time he was 18 months old and people would be like, what? And uh, they, they'd be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this little one-year-old or 18-month-year-old will be like, I want to be an archaeologist. They study dinosaurs. And they were like, how old is he? One and a half, two years old. And, and they'd be like, how is he talking in full sentences? How is he understanding what he's saying? But Arius is not that... Um, and then yes, I got tested, and it turns out I'm like amazing. <laughs> and yeah, his IQ. He is actually top one percent of the of of kids his age. age in the nation. Yeah, and you had already tested in college reading uh, by the time you were in third grade. Was it, isn't that right? I think it was six. Okay, it but earlier. you you. Yeah. Well, we got testing done on you when you were in third grade, and you, like, basically were at a high school level at that point. Yeah. So, and another thing, before Emmett was even, I think he was one or even before that, he's just sitting there, and he, his first word was a full word, and it wasn't like a baby word. It was, banana. <laughs> and everybody looked at him and was like, 
did he just say banana? <laughs> the so Evans is special. The first time I ever oh, yeah. walked without like taking on anything. Oh, I he just, just walked like, across the room. I like stood up with the couch, like holding myself up, and I just like sprint across the room to the other side. <laughs> and everybody was like, "Did he just walk?" <laughs> and she was like, "How long have you known how to do that?" And he's like, uh, "Since just now." Yeah, our Mima was, or that grandma, um, he was like, or she was like, yeah, uh, wait, when when did he learn to walk? And Kim was like, "Uh, just now? (laughs) And he just like (laughs) ran across the room and everybody was like, this is an interesting child. (laughs) And he's the firstborn. So uh, the other ones were not like that, but Emmett was special, and now he is the goat master. Huh, take that. <laughs> I'm special <specialized> than you. <laughs> Emmett. So we have this thing in our family. So I, uh, because of the things I went through, I was actually in a mental institution when I was 14 for evaluation, and they had to do tests on me when I was 14, and my IQ was 147. Kim's IQ as well is very high. It's like 142, I think. So we're very intelligent. So Emmett is very intelligent, but Emmett thinks he's smarter than everybody else because Emmett is going through the curse known as teenageism. And all teenagers <laughs> think they know everything. And he's it's smart. That I know everything, but I know more than I did like a week ago. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah. Anyway, so like Kim and I are like always tell him, look, we know you're smart, but we're smart too. So you can't pull that crap on us. We're Kim and I both love to read, and so does Emma, and we're both very smart. Yeah, very uh, high IQ levels, and so <sighs> we have a son who is a genius and we are what they call dumb geniuses so if you have an IQ below as an adult it, it, things differ when you're younger but as an adult if your IQ is 150 or over you're considered a genius if you're between 140 to 150 they call us dumb geniuses because we're right at the level of being a genius but not quite and my IQ like I said when I was 14 was 147 so I'm right there, but not quite. And that's both a blessing and a cursing. Emmett doesn't realize this yet, but he's going to learn in his life. It's a cursing because when you are around a bunch of dumb people, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend in that way, but when you're around a bunch of dumb people and you're a very intelligent person, and you understand things in a way that they do not understand things, and you try to, like, help them understand things, like, you just learn to keep your mouth shut because they're not going to get it. And it's irritating. And as a truck driver, I'm around people, and you don't have to have a high school diploma to be a truck driver. Now, I've met truck drivers who have doctorates and masters who are retired lawyers and doctors and engineers they just want to drive a truck. But then you've got a bunch of hillbilly rednecks who never completed the fourth grade 
who get their CDL and they don't have a whole lot of common sense or intelligence and they're also truck drivers. And I'm not going to say the majority, but one of my biggest um, problems with the company I work, uh, the, the company I lease. Uh, so I work for a company and we lease to a larger company and there are a bunch of people who have been truck drivers for a long time and they make them the truck bosses. And they ain't got no common sense, and they're dumb as a box of rocks, but somehow they're in leadership positions, and it drives me insane. It drives me insane. So the other day, we're coming up to the spur, which is where we unload our coal for, uh, so they can load it onto the rail to trains. And this truck boss is coming in. Now, if you're, on, if you're outside of the terminal, you're supposed to be on CB Channel 25. But right before you get to the terminal, you have to turn it over to 20 so that when you go into the into the facility, you can be on a different channel. That way, if people are talking on the CB radio, which they always do, and they never shut up, and they talk about nothing all day long, and it drives me nuts because I have to monitor the channel, so I get to listen to them, and I'm like, oh, just shut up. Anyway, um, so this guy, the truck boss, is in front of me, and we're both going to the spur. And he's trying to tell, give instructions to this other guy who's coming out of the spur. And he's on channel 20. And he's all talking to him. He's like, hey, you're supposed to be on channel 20 when you're coming out of the spur. And then he started, like, going on and on. On the channel, okay, he's yelling at the guy who's coming out who's on the wrong CB channel. And he knows he's on the wrong CB channel, and he's yelling at him on the wrong CB channel. Now, the only other option is he's probably on the other channel that he's supposed to be on when he gets out, out of the property. So why not just flip the channel and say, hey, don't turn the channel until you get out onto the road, and then you can turn the channel. That way, if we need to talk to you, we can talk to you. But no, this idiot, who is somehow a truck boss, who's got no common sense, probably as dumb as a boxer rock, and he is because he drives me insane because he's always trying to tell everybody what to do but he's a freaking idiot he's yelling at this other guy who's not even on the same freaking re- uh, like CB channel like and and I talk a lot in my truck but I don't key up the mic so they don't know what I'm saying because I don't want to get in trouble. And these idiots that have this authority, that have no common sense, if you call them out, then then they have authority and they're going to be mad at you and then they're going to make your life, you know, hell because you call them out. So I just, I just, I say so many things. And I just want to say it on the air. I mean, on the, the CB radio and I don't because... I have life experience, and I realize that would not be beneficial to me personally. But I was like, he's not on that channel, and you know that, so why are you yelling at him on the channel that he can't even hear you on? That drives me insane. Why do I go off on these tangents? We're at 31%. We've got a couple of pages left. I'm sorry. Let's go. Okay, so I am happy to bring you good doctrine and talk about these things, but I guess this is also comical relief, and I know you can laugh, and I'm happy that you're laughing at me or with me or whatever the case may be, but it just drives me insane, and 
This is Blog Talk Radio, and this is my audio blog. And I don't know. It 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 just is what it is. So let's. And some people will be like, "I will listen to you because you talk about other things." And I'm like, "Whatever, dude. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. I'm the captain of my ship. You're the captain of yours. You do you. I'll do me." So this is me being who I am. So. And you know what started all of this tangent? Do you remember, Emma? Uh, Icarus in the movie Up. (laughs) Jarius. I said, witness the raising of Jarius. And I was like, oh, something interesting about Jarius. And then we go on a 20-minute tirade about Jarius and all (laughs) the other things and the tangents there. They go places. You never know where they're going to go. And uh, I know my friend David, when he listens to this, is going to laugh because he's always like, I like it when you go on tangents. <laughs> All oh, right. Hi, David. Some people don't. Right. Yeah. Saying hi to you, <laughs> The Transfiguration of the Garden of Guests. Let's see. Oh, let me just, finish. Oh, let me just read this here. Peter's mentioned first, even within the circle of the favored three, Peter, James, and John, who witnessed the raising of Jairus' daughter, the Transfiguration, and the Garden of Gethsemane, he is named first. In many instances where a group of apostles is involved, only Peter's mentioned by name. Quite often in, in different stories, Peter is singled out for special attention. In fact, he was favored with a special, a special appearance of Christ after his resurrection. Certainly Peter's enthusiasm, dedication, and loyal service to Christ stood above that of all the others, but there was a more important reason for his preeminence. He had been given the keys of the kingdom. And like I said, Peter held them until he was murdered and then John held them. And John, as a translated individual, is still alive on the earth today. I do not know him personally, but my friend Eugene does. And apparently, he really likes sports cars. And he gets around and he does his thing, but he's still walking around on the earth. He still has to die to seal his testimony. And that's why I believe he's probably one of the two witnesses. Because he had one of the most powerful testimonies in order for him to seal the testimony that he has been given, he actually has to be killed. And he's still alive. So that, as well as the three Nephites, they're still alive. So, And my witness will have to end with my blood being shed as well. It's a principle. It's the way it is. But So there's at least five people that I know that have to die still before the millennium. That's the three Nephites who are still walking around. James, or not James, like uh, John. There's yeah. still well, five people I know point. who have to die. <laughs> yeah, still five. Yes, I am the godfather and I will give, the, no, I'm just joking. I would give the order, goat master, go, go to them. <laughs> All right. Um, the neighbor, the name Peter in Greek means stone or Petra. Peter is a transliteration of Petra, whatever. With that in mind, refer again to Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Number one, 
no, no mortal had told Peter that Jesus was the Christ because he got it from the Father. He had revelation from God as number two. Number three, Christ acknowledged that he was Peter. Number four, on this rock, the rock of revelation, he would build his church. Number five, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is the meaning of rock different from stone? Peter later said, the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. First Peter chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let me just say real quick, the stone of Judah is Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is speaking to Joseph, he's giving him the blessing, and he talks about the stone of Ephraim. That's Messiah ben Joseph, the two different individuals who are called stones. In Daniel chapter 7, when it talks about the the mountain being created without hands, that is the church. It's being created without hands because it was built by revelation. The stone that is cut out of the church is not the kingdom of God. It is a stone or the stone of Joseph that rolls forth, that is cut off from the mountain made without hands or the church, or excommunicated. So Jesus, the same thing happened to him. Jesus Christ was in the stone or the mountain of the church, and he was cut off or excommunicated, and he was a stone, the stone and rock of Judah, But Daniel chapter 7 is not talking about those days. It's talking about the last days. It's talking about Messiah ben Joseph, who was excommunicated from the restored church or the mountain made without hands. That is the correct interpretation. And from that goes forth the one who creates the political kingdom of God and restores the truth and sets things back in order so that the kingdom of God can come on the earth. So... Under the direction of God, the Eternal Father, is the council of the Elohim or the gods. One among them was chosen to come down, and his name was Jehovah, and he is our Elohim. He was instructed to take Michael, who is an archangel, who is a god, to the earth where it should be created, and Jehovah, our Elohim, had Michael do the work of creation and to come down upon this earth and become an Adam, to take upon himself the name of God, the eternal father, who is Adam, and the people on earth as the father, both spiritually and physically, through the law of adoption and through genetics. He brought his wife, Hava, who we call Eve, who took upon herself the name of God, the Eternal Mother, who is Hava. Her name was Ashura, and his name was Michael. And they were married before they even came to this earth. They had already had their sealing together. Um, Now, under the Father, who is Michael, who is under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim, who are under the direction of the Elohim or the Council of the Gods, the Fathers, 
who are under the direction of God, the Eternal Father. So Michael has two counselors. That's God, the Redeemer, who is Yeshua, who is Messiah ben Judah, who is the Stone of Judah, and God the Witness, who you call the Rock HaKodesh or the Holy Ghost, but his title is God the Witness. He is the bearer of light and truth, and he is the the Messiah ben Joseph, who Moroni talked about, being a Christ that would be rejected by his people after Jesus had already been rejected. And he is the one mighty and strong, the witness, Messiah ben Joseph, or the stone of Joseph, the same stone that is cut forth from the mountain. Now, we have two political, uh, our two roles under the direction of God the Eternal Father, or under the direction of God our Father Michael. Jesus Christ is in charge of the, of the theological portion of the government of the history of the earth during the millennium. And Messiah ben Joseph is over the political and military portion of the government of the earth in the millennium. We have different roles, but we are both witnesses of the Father. So anyway, um, let me see here. Then referring to the saints, he continued, ye also as lively stones are built up um, are built up a spiritual house on holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse five. Um, Jesus referred to himself as the chief cornerstone of the church, and he is, he's the stone of Judah. And he's over the church. Did ye did ye never read in the scriptures that the stone which is re, uh, which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Matthew chapter twenty one, verse forty two. See also First Peter chapter two, verse seven. So there is a difference in terminology between a stone and a rock. The prophet Joseph Smith clearly explained the meaning of rock in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus, in his teachings, says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? It is the rock of Revelation. Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 5, page 258. So we're on page 101, and we still have a couple of pages to go. So, Emmett, did you want to read? Well, I can read if you don't want to. That's fine. I think I'm going to go to bed. Okay. Um, good night. It's fine. I understand. It's actually 2.14 in the morning or 2-something in the morning. So, yeah, it's pretty oh, late. Oh, I thought oh. Ah, That's late. What? That's way later than I thought it was. We started the show at, like, right before midnight. So, yeah. No, we didn't. We started it at 10. That's what I thought. (laughs) Emmett, I was like, I have to hurry up and get the show started before midnight so that it counts as July 15th. And it was, like, almost midnight when I started the show. So, anyway, let me get this done because I... So... 
thank you for reading. I'm a, I will see you in the morning. I love you, and have a good night, Goat Master. Good night, World. Good night, Lord of the Goats. That's what you're supposed to say. Good night, Lord of the Goats. Okay, I love you. Page 101. The answer is simple. Jesus told Peter that flesh and blood hath not revealed the Son to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so it was on this principle of revelation that he would build his church. George Cucannon elaborated further, quote, Jesus replied, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That is, he had not received that knowledge from man, but from God. And Jesus said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. What rock? Oh, says the Catholic, upon Peter, he was the rock. And the church is built upon him. No, say the Protestants, not upon Peter, but upon Jesus. Now, Jesus says, upon this rock, what is the rock? It is the rock of revelation, the principle upon which he was talking. He had spoken to Peter and told him that flesh and blood hath not imparted to him certain knowledge which he possessed but my Father which is in heaven, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Neither are they never can prevail against... What was that? Why is that gate even undone? Oh, Kim drives me nuts. So we have baby gates so that the baby doesn't... So she knew somebody was going to come over today. And they can walk through the gate. They walk through two other gates. But for some reason, Kim's all like, we have to take this gate down because of reasons, which she... Okay, whatever. Anyway, so now the gate was just leaning up against the couch. And the, uh, we have a cat in the house because she had kittens and we have a crate for her. But she doesn't like being in the crate all the time. It's actually a very large crate. We put goats in it. So we put the kittens in there so they are protected because we had some outside and they actually, two of them died because of maggots um, getting into them and killing them. I know. So anyway, but she gets out of the crate and she just ran into the gate and scared the holy living bejesus out of me. I was like, what the heck was that? What the heck is going on? Anyway, so... Okay, Peter was not selected by the Lord because he was so impetuously willing to do his will, nor was it because he was so faithful in keeping the word of wisdom so that he could could say nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. It was not entirely because of his faith that he could walk on water as Jesus did or because he was a strong witness to the miracles of Jesus, or because he would, not let the, he would not let the Lord wash his feet. But he learned how important it was, he was when he learned how important it was, he was, will, or he was willing to let Jesus wash all of him. Rather, Rather, Peter was chosen to receive the keys because he was an inspired man and received revelation from God. Going back to Peter's new name, John shed more light on it. Quote, and he brought him to Jesus, and, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, 
son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which by interpretation is a stone. John chapter 1, verse 42. See, Jesus knew who Peter was before Jesus knew, or before Peter knew who Peter was, because Jesus knew him from the pre-existence. Uh, further light and knowledge is given in the inspired translation of the Bible by Joseph Smith, quote, and he, Andrew, Peter's brother, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, by interpretation, a seer <coughs> or a stone, a seer stone. And when they uh, and when they were fishermen, they went straightway. They straightway left all and followed Jesus. John chapter one verse forty two of the inspired Joseph Smith translation, which was complete. No matter what your LDS church says, in the times and seasons, and in other places, Joseph actually says, and Sidney Rigdon says, we've completed the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, but anyway. This clarifies why Peter was chosen as the chief of the apostles, certainly not because of seniority, but because Peter was a seer or and a revelator. It was upon this principle that men are chosen to hold the and use the keys of the priesthood. When Jesus appeared to the Nephites, he emphasized the importance of building upon his rock. Quote, Whosoever believeth in me, believeth in my in the Father also, and unto him will the Father bear record of me, for he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That's the baptism of fire. And thus will the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost, or God the Witness, will bear record unto him of the Father and me, for the Father and I and the Holy Ghost, or God the Witness, are one. 3 Nephi, chapter 11, verse 35 and 36. When a few verses later, he said, quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that this is my doctrine, which is talking about the doctrine of repentance and baptism, and whosoever buildeth upon, buildeth upon this, buildeth upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. And whosoever shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock, that he buildeth upon a sandy foundation and the gates of hell stand open to receive such when the floods come and the winds beat down upon them. Verses 39 through 40. Let me just say what that means real quick. The doctrine of baptism and repentance is the gateway by which you must enter and continue on the path of repentance. That is the doctrine that you need to know. That is the gospel that you need to know. The other things are true, but they're not necessarily important for you to know everything. You have to know the foundation. You have to start with the the beginning principles. And so when you're preaching these things to Gentiles or other people, that's what you start off with. There's a lot of things that are known. There are a lot of restored principles. There's a lot of knowledge. We understand a lot of things, and all of that is important. But when you're preaching and you're converting, you stick to the basics until people are ready for more. 
Anyway, continuing. It is obvious that a church that is not built upon this rock, the rock of Revelation, is like a house built upon sand. And when the rains, floods, and winds came, it fell, and great was the fall of it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 27. In, in other words, a church that no longer is built upon the rock of Revelation is a church that is on a shaky and unsure foundation and has lost its keys. All right. The next section heading is views and perspectives, and we've got to leave it at that for tonight because we're already in overdrive. This has been a really long radio program. We are at 40% of the sector, and I think we're going to have to do at least two more parts. So there might be part one, two, and three. This is part one. But thank you, everyone, for listening to the program tonight. Um, I'm just grateful that you're listening. And uh, I'm grateful that people read the text. And I'm going to post the text on Facebook. And I wasn't able to do that before. I did do it on my main wall. Now, if you want to follow me, please do so. I have 4,950 or 60 friends on Facebook, so there's room for more friends. But you can also just follow me. You don't have to be a friend on Facebook for you to follow me. Also, you can follow some of my pages. Some of my main pages are Zion's Redemption Bookstore or Zion's Redemption Radio Network, which is this here. Part, you know, this is fundamentally Mormon, but this is Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Um, or you could be in one of my groups. Now, I, I post on my wall the most. I try to post in my groups the second most, if that's even a thing. And then I try to post on my pages. And I sometimes I screw up and I skip things. So if you really want to follow these things, follow me on my wall or my two main groups that I admin. I have other groups too, but my two largest groups with over five or 6,000 people between the two different groups um, is LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions. Now, if you don't want to remember that, you can remember LDS Gospel Mysteries. It's simple and easy. Join the group. Enjoy. Conversate. Uh, there's a lot of other people posting there. I am the admin. And uh, the only thing, I don't like political stuff. And it is a group that is mainly mainstream LDS, but we allow people from all branches in there. And I did kick somebody out of the group the other day, and I actually like her, but she kept on attacking a different group. And that's not what we're about, okay? We're not going to allow that kind of crap to happen in that group. So if you're in there, please don't attack other people or other groups, even if you disagree with them, even if you think that they are the most horrible apostates ever. It's not your job. You're not the judge of them. Okay? So anyway, I'm sorry, Kimberly, um, not my wife, but this other woman. I really like what you're saying uh, a lot of times. But I've warned you over and over and over again, two or three times at least, that what you're doing, and I've muted her and everything, and I just finally kicked her out of the group because she won't stop. So that's not what these groups are about. These groups are about learning. These groups are about hearing perspectives from different branches of the restoration. 
and there's more mainstream LDS people in there because there's just more of them. There's 16 million of them. So the other branches are smaller in number by comparison. So anyway, everybody's welcome. In. Even Christians are welcome in there until they start name calling and all that crap. And I'm just not going to put up with that. No political posts, no name calling, no bullying, no harassment. All that stuff is out. You got to get out of my group. I'm not putting up with that crap. But if you want to follow me, you can still follow me. Like Kimberly, this woman that I, is not my wife, uh, she's still my friend. She still follows me on Facebook. She's just not allowed in my group. And I'll let her back in if she'll if she wants to be back in. And I forgive her 99,000 times or whatever. <laughs> but uh, when you do it, you get kicked out. You can reapply. You know, you can come back in the group. But anyway, I post there and I post. I post the most on my wall. My wall is facebook.com forward slash LAZ URUS1977. And I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to close with a prayer. So thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We come to thee in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus Christ. We, Father, ask thee to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we may have thy spirit to be with us, that we may receive revelation, that we may be built upon the rock of revelation, that we may not be built upon the sins of speculation. We ask thee, Father, to help prepare us that we may be tools in thine hands to bring about thy kingdom upon the earth and Zion's redemption. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us, and we thank thee for everything that thou hast done for us, past, present, and future, for this beautiful world that thou hast given unto us to experience this probation and mortality and to learn that we might gain a higher resurrection. We thank thee for all of these things, and we say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you.